We are ready to rock another week here at the Employment Hour. The number to call always to get a hold of the show is 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. And I think we'll get through a, uh, a stockpile of emails, Lior. We've been getting them through the weeks. And, uh, you know, we don't always neglect, but we like to get to the live phone calls. So we'll get to some emails a little later on. As we always start, every show is the week that was. How was it? Hey, John. Thank yeah, you, man. and uh, welcome everyone on the show. Let's talk about this uh, this past week. I always like to start that off because uh, the scenarios I'm going to talk to you about right now, you may find yourself in. So that if you do, you'll, you'll remember you heard about it on the show, and you'll know what, the, what it all means. So the first scenario, again, this is a matter uh, resulting from a call that I got this week. Uh, it involved a person, again, that was let go. Now, in most of the times, we're arguing about the amount of months or weeks severance that the person yes. has to get. In this case, that wasn't the issue. Uh, the employer had indicated they're going to pay the employee 12 months uh, severance, and that's what I agreed as well, that 12 months is appropriate for the person. The issue here was the fact that when the person was employed, they were earning a significant bonus, about $30,000 a year. Uh, and the employer said, we're going to pay you 12 months salary as severance, but we're not going to pay the bonus. Uh, and, well, that's a $30,000 question. The basic rule is that severance has to include all components of comp- uh, compensation, salary, bonus, benefits, car allowance, etc. Well, in this case, why did the employer say that they're not going to pay the bonuses? They said, well, we have a bonus policy. It's a written document. Okay. And that bonus policy here, right at point seven, says that to, to get the bonus, you have to be employed on the day the bonus is paid. And if you're not employed on the day the bonus is paid, you're not going to get it. Well, it's, you know, you read it, it seems pretty straightforward and pretty official. Okay. So does it, in fact, limit the person? Does it mean the person doesn't get the bonus? Well, in this case, the answer is no, it didn't do that. And here's why. It's not enough for an employer to have a policy that they keep in the drawer in the HR office on the, on the fifth floor and they take it out whenever they want. For a policy like that to bind the employee, it has to be read by the employee and has to be agreed and accepted by the employee. So if the employee's never seen that document, if the employee's never signed that document that they've agreed with it, it doesn't matter what your policy is. It's, it doesn't form part of our agreement. If the employee had agreed, in fact, that they're not going to get paid, uh, if, they, uh, if they are let go before the bonus is paid, that's different. In this case, the employee had not seen the document, has not signed it, so that policy was not useful. So what's the lesson here? First of all, for employers, if you have a, a policy, a contract, something that you think impacts the rights between you and your employee, you want the employee to see that, you want the employees to read and sign and accept it. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to rely on it. It does you no good if you just have it uh, hidden somewhere and you take it out when you feel like it. So uh, very important. And for an employee, well, again, if you lose your job, you're entitled to be paid on the basis of your total compensation, all components of your compensation. And uh, for you not to get that, you would have had to agree in advance in a contract of employment, for example, that that would not be the case. Most people have not done that, so most people should get paid on the basis of their total compensation. If that bonus policy had been included in the employment contract and if the person had signed it, then it would have held water, right? Exactly. Okay. At that point, that would have been perfectly enforceable. And and for this person, it was literally a $30,000 question. That's massive. It's huge. It's huge. And and it's not unusual. I see that. So for some people, it may not be 30. For some people, it could be five. But some people, it could be 105. Mm-hmm. So in, in this case, it was a big deal. And certainly, we were able to get the person the compensation they owed simply because they never saw that policy and it, it didn't help the employer in any way, shape, or form. Thank God they didn't sign it. Yeah. No. They for them anyway. For, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. $30,000. No kidding. What else? So uh, next one, uh, it, it uh, involved a, uh, a situation where I was representing someone that uh, lost their job 
and uh, we started a claim and we attended a mediation. A mediation is an opportunity to, to meet with the employer to try to resolve it, and mm-hmm. most cases resolve it, mediation. So in the meantime, between the time when we started the claim and the time when we attended the mediation, there's been a, there had been a management change uh, at the company. So they changed management, they changed uh, ownership. Uh, and, and the people that really were uh, there at mediation were not the ones that actually fired okay. my client, okay? Yeah. Because since uh, over the p- p- previous couple of months, there's been a change. So during the mediation, uh, the mediator made an interesting suggestion to us. And he, uh, he asked, wait a second, Lior, do you think your client would be actually willing to go back to work? These people say that on paper, he seems like a really good employee and they, they could use someone like him. Cool. And believe it or not, we actually ended up resolving that case on the basis that my client went back to work. He went back to work for the employer. Uh, and, and on that basis, we, uh, we dropped the claim. He was extremely happy because that's really what he wanted all along. He had worked there for eight years. He wanted to go back. He was very scared of, and worried about finding another job in that particular industry. And he was delighted by that. Now, the interesting thing is that these types of situations are not necessarily that common, whereas part of the settlement, you go back to work. And certainly the employer would not be able to impose that on the employee. The employee would have to agree. But in some cases, uh, that, that, that is something if the employee really wants, we can explore. And I've been able to do probably over the past few years about a half dozen settlements, which involve the employee, my client, going back to work. So remember, that is an option in some situations, not common, but possible. Okay, question here, follow in the last minute before we take a break. Uh, he says, okay, great, sounds I'm coming back to work for you guys. Thank God I didn't have to go off. Six months later, you know what? You're not the guy we thought you were. You're out of here. What's yeah. his compensation based well, on? Well, excellent, excellent question. The, the, the good news is your seniority would be considered to be uh, continuous. And mm-hmm. in fact, we made sure to put in the settlement document just to avoid any future dispute that he's going to come back to work effective uh, July the 1st, whatever the date is. Uh, and he, his full seniority is going to be recognized uh, up, and t- up to that date and beyond. So if you do lose your job in six months or wh- however long, you haven't lost anything. You're still entitled to your full severance. Extremely important. So you covered that. You absolutely have to. Otherwise, with, with, wow. you know, they can fire him the next day, and uh, no, it's a bad idea. You are not only unbelievably handsome, but you're also very good at what you do. But I am more handsome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For, we'll, uh, we'll take a short break. Lior at employmenthour.com. You want to send us an email. We'll get to some of those a little later on. The Employment Hour continues on Talk Radio AM 640. Lior at employmenthour.com and 416-216-5900 is Lior's uh, direct number. Now, last week, uh, we were lucky enough to have your partner, uh, Savant Tumarkin, in here talking about uh, disability. And this is this is his bailiwick. He knows all about it. He's back this week. So I want to get some questions to follow up from last week, right? Yeah. And then, you know, we, we had Savant on last week. And uh, I, we've had a lot of questions live on the show and much many, many questions right after. So because there's a lot of interest in this topic, and I asked Savant to join us again today to answer some other questions about, about disability as well as the options that people people that are not working, the options that they have in terms of getting compensation so they can live, they can pay their bills. So first of all, let me uh, welcome back to the show, Sivan. Thanks, Leo. I appreciate it. So Sivan, let, let's uh, try to pick up where we left off last week. Last week, you talked about the fact that obviously one of the options that people have if they're on disability is to apply for, for, for insurance for long-term disability. And a lot of my clients uh, are people, in fact, that are on uh, long-term disability. So, so tell me this. So you're, you're applying for long-term disability. The insurance company is uh, giving you the runaround, or maybe they've rejected your, uh, your application. 
What do you do there? Okay, so Lior, that's an excellent question. There are typically two scenarios that, uh, that I face with long-term disability. The first one is when the insurance company, for whatever reason, rejects the application altogether. And then the second one, when uh, you've been on long-term disability, uh, and at some point down the road, they decide to cut you off, or, or after two years of being on long disability, uh, th- they tell you that you need to prove something else uh, in order to qualify for the benefits. Uh, so each one of those situations presents an interesting uh, uh, scenario that we deal with. Typically speaking, when I see people who are rejected altogether uh, with the application, something has gone wrong in the application process. Uh, the proper medical documents were not provided uh, or you know, the applications were incorrectly filled out. Something happened uh, that, that made the, the insurance company, for whatever reason, reject the application. And usually we can resolve these kinds of um, uh, issues uh, very, very quickly uh, because there is no reason if you've been uh, approved for, for example, shortened disability or if your employer is supporting you, uh, you know, to go along with disability, uh, there's no reason why you shouldn't be receiving uh, those benefits. With respect to uh, being cut off, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, I, had a, uh, I had a lady that I was helping for the last few months, uh, and we had finally resolved the claim last week. And, and uh, that was a fascinating example. She's been on, on long-term disability for approximately nine years. Wow. So for nine years, the insurance company was paying nonstop the exact same benefit. Uh, she's in her 40s. Nothing had changed in her condition. The insurance company decided to take the position at some point down the road based on their own medical experts. So these are the experts that they pay Mm -hmm. uh, that suddenly she doesn't qualify under the definition of total disability. In other words, they're saying you can go back to work. Uh, and, and of course, you know, she was very frustrated. She was shocked, if anything, and uh, eventually made her way to me. And, uh, you know, we started the claim and you know, I, I, I essentially engaged the, the insurance company in, in, in a very simple conversation. I, I you know, we basically uh, went back and forth a few times uh, via letters. Uh, they did not change their position, which sometimes they don't. Uh, we, we started a claim, and the claim ended up at a mediation, which Lior had mentioned before. And mediation is a forum uh, that allows the parties to come together uh, in confidence, in strict confidence, and try and resolve the dispute. Well, I'll tell you this. Despite all of their objections, despite the fact that their lawyer uh, was, uh, uh, you know, t- taking the position that no, no, uh, things have changed and, you know, our medical doctors are saying this and that, at the end of the day, they ended up resolving the dispute with us because they knew that if this thing proceeded all the way, they would lose and they would lose big time. And I'll tell you right now, without providing any specifics, because we're not allowed, uh, you know, the resolution was in the six figures. And, you know, there was absolutely no reason why the insurer cut her off at the first place. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very important for people to understand that, you know, as soon as there is a problem with their uh, disability insurer or any insurance company, really, for that matter, always, always consult an insurance lawyer. It's not going to cost anything to talk to us. Absolutely nothing. Another small point that I just want to raise, because this was the case in this case, and I see it often uh, that it happens. A lot of people, when they are uh, cut off from disability, they're actually invited by the insurer uh, through the letter of denial to make an appeal. And I find that very ironic because the, the same people who are uh, cutting you off are effectively saying, well, you know, go and get some more information, more documentation, and then we'll take a look at your application again. I, I've never seen a situation where someone actually appealed and was successful. And the irony on top of that irony is that they'll do the appeal, they'll get rejected again, 
And then afterwards, they'll be invited to make a second appeal. Jeez, <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely insane. Now, and, and throughout this entire time, which, by the way, this takes months to go through, throughout the entire time, the person has no income. They have absolutely no way of supporting themselves, supporting their families. The law provides that as soon as you are denied this benefit you can make a claim as against the insurer. Did they say over that nine years, all of a sudden they said, oh, I know she's good to go back to work. Did, was she called to, to see their doctor that she didn't tell you about? Did she get nope. So where, how do they possibly just say all of a sudden now you're fine? That's an excellent question because that's exactly what they do. And they will assume, they will assume that they'll be able to somehow either uh, make you quit uh, the claim. In other words, uh, decide that, you know, it's just not worthwhile pursuing uh, or, or they will uh, expect that, perhaps maybe there is a chance that maybe you'll find some other form of employment because, you know, fighting with a big insurance company, that's something that's going to, uh, you know, take too long and, and it's going to be too expensive. And neither of these things are true. It's well, not too long and it's not expensive. We'll take a short break. It's 416-216-5900 to get a hold of Lior or Savannah for that matter. And Lior at employmenthour.com. This is the Employment Hour. It continues right here on Talk Radio AM 640. And the number to get a hold of Lior directly, 416-216-5900. Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll get to a couple emails here in uh, just a little bit. Something we want to talk about because it's uh, it's a weird industry when it comes to compensation and severance, and that is the construction industry, right? Yeah, John. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, I mean, this is a, it, it's a huge thing in the employment field. Uh, employers, employees get this wrong all the time. There's this misconception out there uh, uh, that employees that are in the construction industry, that work in the construction field, don't have the same protections, they don't have the same rights as entitlements, especially as relates to severance. And what, the reason why I wanted to talk about this to start off is to say that that misconception is wrong. Is that because it's seasonal? Yeah, and, and, and well, there's two reasons. It's seasonal, but also employees that are uh, working in the construction industry are not covered with respect to most things by the Employment Standards Act. So this statute, the Employment Standards Act, that outlines certain minimums that every employee is entitled doesn't necessarily apply in many respects to construction industry. Just the same as, as pool cleaners, as we've talked about Which in the past. bizarre. Your, your, your favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, pool cleaners, yeah, no rights for you. Uh, <laughs> but and, and the same thing applies often uh, as relates to construction industries, with the exception that, certainly as relates to severance, that your severance entitlements, your full severance entitlements, are going to be the same, whether you're in the construction industry or in any other industry. So... People think that just because I don't have the same bottom line protection, my top line doesn't exist. Wrong. Your top line is the same. So how is it? Uh, how do you calculate for someone in that industry? Okay. So so what happens? An employee in the construction industry loses their job. First of all, are they entitled to severance? Yes, yes, yes. It's a resounding yes. And how do you calculate it? You calculate it on the exact same basis as every other employee, which is we look at the person's age, length of employment, the type of job that they have, the longer they work, the older they are and the more senior a position, the greater the entitlements. And on that basis, they're entitled to compensation, to severance. So a person in the construction industry can also go right now and use the severance calculator, severancepaycalculator.com, and they get the results. I cannot tell you, John, how many times I, I uh, get calls from people in the construction industry. They say, well, I heard you on the radio, but obviously that doesn't apply to me because I'm in the construction. I'm just calling to confirm that. Exactly. And no, that's not the case. And there's a lot of employees right now that are, are listening to us and they're saying, oh my God, I had no idea. And I bet you there's a lot of employers right now that are in that field and they're saying, oh my God, this is crazy. That can't be right. It's right. So you just need to drive down the garden or look at the number of cranes that are up in the air. I know there's a lot of people in the construction industry that are maybe working now, but in a couple months, they'll be, uh, they'll be weather on nothing. They should be listening yeah, to Yeah, and, and, and not even talking just about seasonal employees. Some people work for, for uh, some sort of a home builder, let's say, mm -hmm. and then they've been doing this for 10 years. And after 10 years, they lose their job. 
And the employer says, well, we're in the construction business. We're allowed to let you go and pay you nothing. Wrong, wrong, wrong. That person could easily be entitled to a year's pay. So can you imagine a year's pay and they believe or they're told they're not getting anything? Big 416-216-216-5900, uh, to get a hold of. We love this one. How about temporary layoffs? Are there different rules in the construction industry? And, and in some situations, they are. And, and here's why. Because as you just uh, said a couple minutes ago, oftentimes construction business is more seasonal. Mm-hmm. So if you're working on a job that by definition is, is seasonal, well, it's understood that off-season, you're going to be uh, laid off temporarily. Even though there's no contract, by nature, uh, by the nature of the job, it's understood. So if you're in a seasonal job, you can be laid off off season and, and that's not a termination. But if you're in, like I said, the example I gave you a minute ago, if you're working for a home builder, just as an example, you've worked there for a few years, you've never been laid off. Now you're supposedly laid off temporarily. No, that's illegal. You've never been laid off before. There's no basis to think that you can and should be laid off. So the layoff itself is a termination. There's no unilateral right to lay someone off temporarily in the construction industry unless you work in a seasonal job and you've been laid off before. So if you have been laid off temporarily, uh, you are entitled to severance. You can treat that layoff as a termination and get your uh, your full severance right now. I was going to ask you how common it is to see someone in the uh, construction industry lose their job and not get severance. Let me flip that around. How common is it to see them get severance? Out of 100 cases, how many will get severance? Almost none. And, and <laughs> right. I, I cannot tell you. I mean, it's it's I, it's one of the, the things that's so prevalent right now that for me to see someone that actually was offered severance, I, I would almost be surprised. Uh, and again, I want to make it clear, I'm not picking on construction employers uh, because it could get complicated. Well, wait a second, if the Employment Standards Act doesn't apply, does, do they, does it mean they get anything? So they don't know. And the Ministry of Labor doesn't help you because the Ministry of Labor, if you're a if you're a construction employee, John, you call the Ministry of Labor because you just lost your job and they mm-hmm. ask them, should I get something? They're going to tell you no. And they're going to tell you no because you don't have the same minimum entitlements. But that's wrong. So it is very, very common. Employers get this wrong all the time, not because they're bad people, because they don't know any better. So hopefully we're educating here both employers and employees and telling them that if you do lose your job or if you let someone go, severance has to be paid. Lior at employmenthour.com is the email. Jordan Import Credit says, my wife and I work at the same place. I was let go for cause because of something that my wife did had nothing to do with me. Is that even legal? Wow. Uh, it's an interesting case. And I actually did have one or two of these cases uh, in the past. So so here's the thing. And here's from the employer standpoint. And again, I don't know exactly what, what uh, Jordan's wife is alleged to have done. So you bo- both work at the same place. And let's say the wife did something. I don't know. Maybe she committed fraud, uh, just as an example. Uh, the employer is going to say, OK, I'm going to let the wife go because yep. clearly that's cause. But the husband, what are the chances really of the husband not knowing about it, not supporting his wife, not being involved? Oh, I see. Uh, so we think, of course, that he was. So on that basis, we're going we're gonna to assume that he's guilty and let him go. Now, obviously, if that's wrong, if the, if, if the husband here, if Jordan really had nothing to do with it, it really didn't, uh, it was not something that he was aware of or he condoned or participated in, then there's no cause to terminate him and he's entitled to severance. That would be a wrongful dismissal. So, so again, depending on the facts, in some cases it may be very difficult to say, no, no, I had no, no knowledge about it. 
But in many cases, that could well be the case. So just because your wife or your, your, your partner that works in the same place did something does not mean that you should uh, suffer the consequences. We'll take a quick break. Uh, lots more coming up here. Uh, Lior at employmenthour.com to get a hold of. We'll get through more of your emails. We've got a bunch to, to get through. That's a uh, pile up over the weeks. And 416-216-5900 is Lior's direct number. The Employment Hour, Talk Radio, AM 640. We'll get to more of your emails, uh, questions here in just a bit at Lior at employmenthour.com and his direct number, 416 216 Let's talk about resignation. We always talk about getting uh, getting canned, but we'll talk about resigning as well. Um, is it better to resign than to be let go? And, you know, that, that's where the analysis should start with that question right. because a lot of people are put in a difficult situation by their employer and they they say, well, you know, I'm better off resigning because if, if I'm let go, it's going to hurt me somehow. It's going to impact me in the future. And, and that's generally wrong. It's extremely rare and extremely unlikely where a resignation uh, is going to be better. And, and let me tell you why. First of all, if you resign, mm-hmm. you're not going to be entitled to employment insurance to begin with, okay? Because you don't get employment insurance unless you lose your job on a without-cause basis. Uh, but people th- may think, well, wait a second, with respect to future employment, is a, is a resignation uh, going to be better? In, in most cases, you're better off to, to lose your job on a without-cause basis. It's very common. A, a prospective employer is going to understand that. So, so there's really no advantage. Uh, so uh, there's two huge disadvantages, in fact. Number one, as I said, you don't get EI, but probably the biggest disadvantage of resigning is you don't get severance. For, and if you're a long, long-term employee, yeah. right? So, yeah. so for you to give up potentially tens of thousands of dollars that you're legally owed severance because you're worried uh, that resignation is going to be better than termination, no, it, it's wrong. And there's, there's no reason really to do that uh, unless you're somehow independently wealthy and you don't care about that severance, in which case uh, my address to mail me a check uh, for, <laughs> exactly. for that severance us, is... Yeah. Us, yeah, Thank us. Thank you very Sorry, much. Sorry, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, how about this? Uh, you're in a, a big bowl of, uh, of uh, bad here. You're given an ultimatum. You either resign or you are terminated. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that is a termination. That very question is a termination of your employment. That, there's no choice there. It's like, you know, do you, do you want me to, to, to kill you with a knife or with a gun? At the end of the day, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> exactly. So it, it, it doesn't matter. So if you're in that situation, first of all, uh, I think the answer should always be, uh, well, no, I'm not going to resign. If you want to do something, employee, you have to do it, uh, and, and that's that. In most cases, an employer is going to do that because they they think that you would prefer to, to resign and they can avoid their legal obligations to you. So that's a bad idea. Uh, and even if you resign as a result of an ultimatum, ultimatum like that, that is still a termination so long as you can establish that you were given this ultimatum. Uh, by, by asking you that question, by putting, making you resign or be terminated, that is a termination, which is, still means you get severance. So, again, very bad move. There's really no advantage. I've had employers call me and say, well, we're going to terminate this employee, but we're going to ask them first to resign uh, or else we're going to terminate them. Is that a good idea? And I always tell them, no, it's not a good idea. In fact, that could be considered to be a bad faith conduct, which may mean you actually owe the employee more compensation, more money. So I, I don't see any advantage to the employer. 416-216-5900, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. We'll get an email after I get to this uh, next question. When is a resignation really a resignation? Because we always hear people, you know, they, they go into work one day, they lose it, they snap, I'm out. They, you know, I'm leaving all the hell with all of you and I'm gone. Next day it's like, you know what? Excellent, excellent. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, no, a g- good question. So first of all, for a resignation to be really 
really that, a resignation, and to be effective, it has to be something that's done out of the person's own volition. So it can't mm-hmm. be prompted, pushed, uh, or, or, or as a result of threats by the employer. Something that you do uh, out of your own volition without any pressure from anyone else uh, and, and, and for your own reasons. Now, if it's something that's done in the heat of the moment, as, as you just alluded to, uh, and some people, you know, I can't take this anymore. I'm done. I'm out of here. Uh, heat of the moment resignation is not a resignation as long as it's taken back uh, uh, qu- uh, fairly quickly. So if you resign in the heat of the moment and a month later you say, okay, now I've changed my mind, it's too late. But if you uh, take it back very quickly, then it's not a resignation. An employer cannot rely on it and you can continue working. What is that, a couple of days? Usually, yeah, I would say a day or two at the most. And once an employer relies on that resignation, so, okay, you told me you're resigning, John, so I went out and I hired someone. Now you told me it was a heat of the moment. Well, wait a second, I just hired someone in light of that. So once the employer relies on that resignation and acts in reliance mm-hmm. on that resignation, it's too late to take it back. So if you've done that, and I had a case actually uh, – uh, last year, when it's exactly that's what happened. The, the person resigned in the heat of the moment. There was a series of events that that led to her being extremely, extremely frustrated. Uh, she resigned on the Friday. On that weekend, he hired she, uh, she, well, no, on the weekend she went. She she wrote the employer and said, uh, you know, just it's heat of the moment. I'm going to be back to work on Monday. The employer sent a letter. He somehow got her a letter, a courier letter on the weekend saying, no, no, you resigned, so off you go, and, and we've accepted your resignation. No, that was a termination, okay? That was not a resignation, and that person ended up getting a significant amount of severance. Lior at employmenthour.com. Got Matthew in Toronto, right? Says, I was let go last week and offered a severance package. My employers say that until I accept, he won't pay me commissions owing to me for deals that I close. I don't want to accept my severance offer, but I can't afford to live without it, so I don't get these commissions. What do I do? Yeah, and, and you know, that, that's inappropriate to do that. That's illegal. Legal, to be to be honest, because severance is one thing, but regardless of whether or not the employee gets severance, agrees to severance, or negotiates severance, an employee is entitled to get paid all amounts owed up until the date of termination. Mm-hmm. So all salary owed, all vacation owed, all commissions owed. So an employer is not allowed to hold that back uh, pending the, the deal on severance. So my advice to, to this uh, individual is to give me a call because I assure you, with a quick, quick letter to your employer, we're going to be able to get them right away within a day or two to pay you your full commissions. There's no reason. And then you can deal with the issue of your severance without feeling like you have a gun to your head. Give you another uh, quick question about resignation before we take a break. What if someone resigns because of work conditions have become uh, the change or they become unbearable? What do they do? Yeah, and, and that's when we get into the concept of constructive dismissal. We touched on that last week on the show. Uh, if you resign, not because you want to resign, not because you want to spend more time on the golf course, uh, <clears throat> John, uh, but if you resign... Out of golf. Because, well, you know, to each their own. But if, if, you, uh, if you resign because of something happened in the workplace that makes it very difficult to, to continue working unreasonable, unbearable, That is not a resignation in the eyes of the law, even though you're the one leaving. What does that do? That means you've been constructively dismissed. It's as if the employer has terminated your employment, and at that point, you are entitled to your severance. So a resignation as a result of changes, as a result of the work environment becoming unbearable, is not a resignation in law. Cheryl and Milton, I'll throw another email your way. Uh, over a period of a few months, I felt my employer was taking advantage of me. I was called to work uh, weekends. I was made to stay very late, and I was also required to change vacation plans. 
and says I was not paid anything extra. Uh, it got to the point that I couldn't take it anymore and quit. Is there something I can do? Well, a, a timely, timely email yeah, because right. it exactly addresses what we've talked about. Now, assuming those changes that she describes are not something that the employer is explicitly allowed to do in the contract of employment, because if the contract of employment says we can do those things, we can make you work weekends, et cetera, et cetera, it's possible that nothing legally wrong has happened. But if that's not the case, yes, an employer is not allowed to take advantage of an employee like that to make them work uh, extra hours, to make them come in on weekends, uh, make them do extra tasks. Uh, tasks, certainly without any uh, additional payment. So if you can establish that that's what's happened and you resign as a result, Mm -hmm. that is a constructive dismissal. So even though she resigned, she would still be entitled to severance, but I want to see a contract of employment if in fact she signed one. 416-216-5900, Lior, L-I-O-R at employmenthour.com is the number in the email to get in contact. We'll take a short break here. Lots more of it coming up. The Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640. You can get a hold of Lior anytime. 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. want to talk about this. Uh, ways in which employers may lose the ability to rely on contracts of employment. So now we're talking employers. Employers. Right. And first of all, why should people care? Both employers and employees care about this. And, and, and when does this issue actually arise? Well, first of all, uh, it arises in situations where yeah, employers want to have employees sign contracts. Why? Because in that contract, there's term, uh, terms there that are going to be very helpful for the employee, uh, for the employer. And let me give you a, one example: a termination clause. Mm-hmm. So a contract is going to contain a term in it that outlines potentially how much severance the employer has to pay. And if the employer is so inclined, and many are, they can provide in that contract for less severance than what the employee would otherwise get. So if you're the employer, you want to have a contract like that. And if you have a contract like that, you want to make sure that it's enforceable. If you're an employee, obviously, you don't want to be bound by a contract like that, but you may have signed one or you, you may have one. And in that que- case, the question arises, is that enforceable? So there are many ways, really, and I'm going to outline a a few of them for you, as to why a contract of employment may ultimately not be deemed enforceable, and employers may do something or not be careful enough and lose the ability to rely on a contract, and certainly as relates to severance, by doing that, it can end up costing the employer an extra tens of thousands of dollars. So let's start with that. One of the ways, probably the the most simple way that Mm -hmm. a contract cannot be or can be considered unenforceable is because the employer cannot prove that the employee, in fact, has accepted the contract. What does that mean? Contract was not signed by the employee. So we hired the employee, but we don't have a signed copy. Well, if you don't have a signed copy, you can't establish that the employee has agreed to the contract. And if the employee has not agreed to it, or you can't prove that the employee has, you can rely on it. So very basic. And if you, so if if you have a contract, you want to make sure that it's signed. Otherwise, it's not worth the paper it's written on. So, so that's, that's key. It should go without saying, but I can't tell you how many times an employer pulls out a contract and there's no signature, and well, what am I going to do with that? That pretty much goes for anything that the employer is trying to pass by the employer. Absolutely. Sign everything, right? you got to sign, because that signature is, is what signifies the acceptance, mm-hmm. okay? So, so fine. Second uh, issue is the timing of the contract, when the contract, in fact, was signed, if it was signed. So for a contract of employment to be enforceable, it has to be signed usually before employment starts. Okay. Uh, once the employee starts working, if the employee signs the contract after, first day, second day, six months later, doesn't matter, at that point the contract is not enforceable. Why? Because the employee is not getting anything in return for signing the contract. They already have the job, so now they agree to a contract, but they're not getting anything in return. 
That's why if a contract is signed at the beginning before employment uh, starts, well, the employee gets the job. And in return, they sign the contract. So there's a given, uh, there's a given on both sides. So a contract has to be, for a contract to be enforceable, it has to be signed before employment starts. Now, it could be later, so it could be uh, sometime later, as long as the employee still got something in return for signing it, a promotion, a pay raise, some, uh, some other perk, a signing bonus. So a contract that was signed after employment started, unless the employee got something in return, is not enforceable. Even if you, you know, you've got this new job, you come in the morning of, oh, before you start, Jim, we gotta, you just got to sign this for us. Is that... No, it is too late at that really? point. If you walk wow. in the doors and you then you're made to sign, uh, it's too late. And there's there's court decisions that have found that. So very very important. You don't. And I tell that to my employer clients all the time. You do not have people come into your work. They don't step foot into the workplace until they've signed the contracts of employment. Four one six two one six fifty nine hundred. Lior at employmenthour.com. Consideration. Yeah. Well, consideration is this concept that I've just talked about. The idea of giving someone a value for the for the uh, for the contract. Another way a contract can become unenforceable is uh, if during the course of employment the person's jobs changes. Mm. So I was hired as a marketing coordinator, but I was promoted to a director of marketing a few years later. Well, what happened to the contract that I signed? few years ago when I was marketing coordinator. Well, that was a contract for a marketing coordinator position. I'm now in a very different position. So arguably, that contract doesn't apply anymore. It doesn't exist. It's it's as if uh, you, you never signed it. That the exception to that is if the contract explicitly states that it's going to continue to apply regardless of which job that you have. And they can do that? And they can do that. Most don't, but they can. <laughs> so uh, if you've now signed a contract a few years ago, you're at a different position and the employer says, well, I can let you go now because of this contract that you signed three years ago, that contract is not going to be enforceable. So you want to you wanna make, uh, make it uh, very clear and know that. Contract not well drafted. Yeah, a, a big one. And I, I can't tell you how often I see that. For a contract of employment to be enforceable, it has to be drafted well. That's especially true with respect to a termination clause. Our courts have said that if the employer wants to rely on a termination clause in a contract, the contract has to be drafted in a very particular way. It has to say specific things in a specific sequence. And if it doesn't do that, it's not enforceable. Most contracts are not drafted uh, that well. They're, they're, they're sloppy. And they don't meet all the requirements. Uh, either the, the employer drafted it themselves without a lawyer or the lawyer wasn't very careful. It, that, it does happen. So in many cases, because the contract is not drafted well, it's ultimately not enforceable, which is why if you lost your job and the employer says there's a contract that limits you, you want to have me review the contract mm-hmm. because I'll be able to tell you at that point if it's properly drafted, if it has the legal effect of limiting your entitlements. We'll take a short break and back into more about employee contracts and some emails as well. 416-216-5900 is Lior's number and Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640. Lior's number to get a hold anytime, 416-216-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll get to an email here in just a bit. We were talking about uh, flipped over to employers this time and the ability to lose, or at least the ability to lose or rely on contracts of employment. Uh, how about termination for cause? And, and here's where employers can get into, into prom. So let's assume that none of this these mistakes apply. So you have a contract with an employee, he signed it, the employee signed it on time, it's perfectly drafted, Mm -hmm. but then you terminate for cause. Okay, well, what happens, in fact, if you were wrong in in terminating for cause? So whatever you've alleged that the employee did does not rise to the level of cause. There's case law, there's courts that have said that by terminating for cause, if it's then determined 
that there's no cause, okay. you lose the ability to rely on the contract. So by, by terminating for cause, you lose the ability. And now uh, you actually may have to pay a lot more severance than what you would have had to pay if you had just paid that severance to begin with and not terminated for cause. So another reason for employers, if you're going to allege cause, if you're going to terminate for cause, you really, really want to make sure you get it right, that you're right to do that, because it could cost you a lot more down the road than if you had just terminated for cause without cause to begin with and followed your contract. How con- how common is that? Eight out of ten times they don't have cause? Nine yeah, out of ten? I, I would say it's extremely really? common. It's, it's, it's far more common than not that an employer pulls the trigger on the cause case uh, much too soon, especially when it's performance-based. So mm. if I'm letting someone go because I just don't think their performance is up to par, if I'm going to do that, I better well have uh, had other discipline on records, uh, warnings, suspensions, training, uh, and you know it's very, very difficult. Most employers are not that patient and they pull the trigger much too soon. And and like I said, as it relates to the contract, you have this great contract that says you only have to pay the employee two weeks' pay, as an example. But instead of paying two weeks' pay, you terminate for cause. If it's determined that there's no cause, now forget about the two weeks. Now you potentially have to pay Full them six months. Exactly. Right. So uh, a decision like that could be very costly. So, so that's another reason why a contract of employment can become unenforceable. And that's what we're talking about. How about breach of own contract? Yeah, and, and this is a very uh, in, interesting point that, that, that's been uh, found by courts to be a problem for employers. So if you have a termination clause that provides, for example, that uh, for a formula. So, John, if I let you go, I'm going to give you a week per year of service, as an example. So for you, that means uh, eight weeks. But I made a mistake or I, I didn't do it right or I didn't realize that my contract says I paid you six weeks. I breached my own contract. Well, by breaching my own contract, I arguably have now lost the ability to rely on it. So if you have a contract of employment, if you're the employer, you want to know what your contract says. You want to follow your contract because if you don't, you may lose the ability to rely on it, and that could be very costly. Leo at employmenthour.com. I want to get to an email here. Stephen in Toronto writes, says, I was given notice of termination in February. Since then, my employer has extended the notice twice. Right now, my last day of work is at the end of this month. Do I get severance? That's confusing. Yeah. Well, he, yeah. Uh, let, let me kind of break it down. I, I've seen these cases many times before. So you get notice of termination. John, I'm telling you today, then three months, I'm letting you go. Closer to that date, I say, you know, I realize I need you for longer. So you're going to stay for another three months. Okay. Uh, and so now you would have had six months notice. At the end of it, do you still get get severance or, or does that notice count? Well, generally speaking, uh, our courts have said that an employer is allowed only one extension to the notice and only for up to 13 weeks. So if the employer extends it for more than 13 weeks or extend it, extends it more than once, then the, the, it's as if they never gave notice. That notice that they give does not count. So now you lost your job, and the employer says, well, I gave you two notices and extended it a couple of times, so really it's six months ago that you knew you were losing your job. It's as if they never gave you notice, nice. so now you get your severance. So remember employers, remember employees. An extension can only be uh, up to 13 weeks and only one extension. If your notice keeps getting extended, it's as if you never got it and you're entitled to severance. 416-216-5900 outside of show hours to get a hold of Lior. And again, his email is Lior at employmenthour.com. Something, and I've, I've, I've run, through, uh, run through this a couple of times with friends, even at my gym, and that's the severance pay calculator. Really cool that you run through it and, you know, Inevitably, the jaw drops at the end. There goes, no way I get that much. There's no way. Yeah, there's a bug have, in the system, yeah, right? Absolutely. It's yeah. faulty. Yeah, it's faulty. And Run through it for us. Yeah, and we, we had a question about that last week, I, I think, on the show as well. And someone said, well, is this, is this right? Well, yes, the severance calculator is correct. And the severance pay calculator, which you can find, of course, at severancepaycalculator.com, 
outlines how much severance you're owed. You can do it yourself. You enter how long you work, how old you are, and the type of job. It's a you know, drop-down menu there. Mm-hmm. You just pick the right category, and it tells you how much severance you're owed. And those are correct. What it does is it calculates your full entitlements, not your minimum entitlements, your absolutely full entitlements, okay. the entitlements that the law provides for you. Uh, and the reason why it's higher than you think is because most people don't know what their entitlements are. That's why most people accept completely inadequate severance because they don't know any better. They think that their entitlements are a lot lower than they are. That's wrong. I don't want anyone listening today to fall into that trap. Go to severancepaycalculator.com, download the severance calculator app on iPhone, iPad, Android. You'll get your entitlements. You'll be able to find out exactly how much you're owed. It's accurate. It works well. It's extremely simple to use, and it arms you. It empowers you. It gives you the power to know, now I know what I'm owed. Now I can stand up for my rights. What if you're an employer? Well, if you're an employer, first of all, hopefully you know how much severance you have to pay you or you consulted with the lawyer. But if you haven't, you want to know, you get a sense as to how much it's going to cost you to, to pay an employee that you're letting them go. Go to severancepaycalculator.com and find out there's an employer mode to the severance calculator. It also gives you some additional information as to exactly how severance is calculated and what's included. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, it gives you a good sense. I still think for employers, very important. If you're going to terminate an em- employment, you want to get advice before then. No so surprises, I, I wouldn't, right? I wouldn't necessarily just rely on, on the severance pay calculator for employers because you've got to get it right for all the reasons that we've always talked about on the show. So okay. give me a call if you're in that situation. We can talk more specifically about your matter. So I've gone through the severance pay calculator. Wow, I've got this number. Um, now, what do I do? I have this number. Can I contact you? Is there a way to get a hold of you? Yeah, well, easy easy enough. You can contact me right out of the severance pay calculator if you want. There's a green button there. Cool. As soon as you get your result, you press it. It sends me an email. Uh, and then otherwise, call me always at the office. That's a wrap for another week. If you had questions, uh, emails, you didn't get answered, easy. 416-216-5900. That is Lior's personal number, by the way. And Lior, L-I-O-R at EmploymentHour.com. This has been another edition of the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640.